This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This is Conspiranormal. Okay. Welcome, guys, back to Conspiranormal. And it is just myself this week because Serfiel is on vacation. Of course, by the time you guys will are going to be hearing this um he will be off vacation but uh, as of right now that's where he is and but i am happy to be joined tonight by a couple of the people from the monster madness crew and uh we've got steve stockton hey there and uh heather mosher hello did i say that right heather i say sure. mosher more mosher? like a z but okay yeah all right mosher mosher that that's that's easier that's actually easier for me to say yeah yeah (laughs) Uh, so um we're going to be talking about some of the videos that uh these guys have produced and with along with uh, zuri willis who is not here with us this evening Mm -hmm. and um Steve has been on Conspiracy Normal several times. In fact, I think, Steve, this may be the first time in a couple of years, I think, that you've been on, because I think it's been a little while. Yeah, and it has been a hot minute. Yeah, I think the last time I had you on was uh, we talked about the, it was like a bonus episode where we talked about some of the mysterious disappearances in, in, Grand, Can- in Grand Canyon, Great Smoky Mountains National Park. Yeah, I think and, you're right. Uh, then I was on once. We talked about the the Phantom Clowns. I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah that was <laughs> that, that was, was a fun episode. That <laughs> was way back. That was like 2016. Um, but uh, <laughs> but Heather, uh, tell tell everybody kind of a little bit about yourself and kind of what got you interested in these weird subjects. Wow. Well, um, first off, I'm a, a professor of classical studies, so Greek and Roman history and culture. But oh, nice. Yeah, thanks. Um, I'm also a researcher for Small Town Monsters, and I write some blogs, um, one for uh, the Weird Writer blog for Into the Fray Radio with Shannon LeGrow, and then I'm a co-host with uh, for the Caravan Library of Lore with Lady Anne, and write the blogs for that, too. Um, well, as far as getting into all of this, uh, it's probably partly because of when I grew up in unsolved mysteries territory, you know, Robert Stack Mm -hmm. talking about all of that ever since I was little and having the phone number memorized, but also where I grew up. uh, I grew up in a small town, not far from Minerva, Ohio. So the Minerva monster was something very familiar and there's Bigfoot sightings and all of that, of course, in the area, but I've always been fascinated with ghost stories as well, raised with some stories like that. And, 
Yeah, so I guess that's kind of what started all fascination with Ouija boards, monsters, ghosts. And then uh, it turns out, even when you grow up, you can still look into all this stuff. <laughs> so you had the number to uh, Unsolved Mysteries memorized? I did. Do I do not anymore. It? No, I don't. <laughs> but I used to repeat it every time, um, which my parents got a huge kick out of. Did you I ever? Not. Did you ever call it? No, I didn't have anything to, to share. <laughs> <laughs> Just call it to see if Robert Stack answers. Get that would have been probably. Call. Is your refrigerator running? <laughs> <laughs> Does, uh, is there any crossover between uh, what you do, with, like with the uh, kind of like folklore and paranormal world, and then uh, with the classical studies world? Is there any kind of crossover there? Uh, yeah, sometimes actually. Part of my, I, I took a class, a few classes of. Um, epigraphy which is the study of inscriptions whether that's tombstones or writings on triumphal arches or coinage or whatnot that also includes something called curse tablets and so that was something i was super fascinated with where uh, curse tablets and uh the phrasing and the different deities if you could even read them that the curse tablets would uh, have inscribed on them and then you know there are ghost stories in antiquity and monsters that get brought up, uh, UFO type stuff, all of that is there. And so that's, that's been always a favorite part of any of the studies for me is to get into those kind of, those kind of aspects. Okay. Yeah. Excellent. What, any Roman ghost stories that you know, particularly? Uh, yeah. So Pliny had a story. I'm not going to remember the dude's name right now, but he had bought a house and there was a ghost that kept showing up every night as he was trying to write in his mm -hmm. ledger. And um, he had chains on him and he showed up and he'd rattle his chains and the owner of the house would ignore him. This went on for a few nights. And eventually the guy decided, you know what, I'm gonna follow him out. I'm gonna see what he wants. And he followed the ghost who disappeared, right? I think it was right outside of the doorway to the back. Um, so a liminal space disappeared and the next day they started to dig in that area and they found bones of a man who had not been properly buried. So then he buried the body appropriately and the ghost never returned. I think that might be one of the oldest ones in Roman uh, literature anyway. I've read. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah that's, uh, that's, that's extremely, extremely interesting. Um, there is something else for my master's degree. I wrote, uh, my thesis was based on moral panics, specifically oh. the Bacchic cult. I, I utilized the connection between the moral panic of the European witch trials um, in the 15th through 18th century and um, compared it to the persecution of the Bacchic cult in 186 BCE. And, it, you know, we kind of demonized, well, we didn't, the Romans the ones in power, the Senate demonized the people that worshiped Bacchus. And mm -hmm. um, we see that a lot in this kind of study as well. Uh, you know, the satanic panic, all of that, all of this intertwines. Right. So yeah, you can bring history into it. It's fun. Nice. So that, that's, I did not know that you were a classical studies professor. That's a, that's yeah. extremely interesting. That's a, that's a particular <laughs> time period in history that I find extremely fascinating. Just mm -hmm. the whole the the Roman Empire and oh yeah and all that stuff and actually um 
we we may need to have you back on at some point to talk about some of that because I think that that would oh, be sweet. That, that would be really really interesting really really interesting. I really wanted to try to get somebody to uh, somebody to come on and and, and talk about kind of like the the decline and fall of the Roman Empire or something like that. So if yeah, you're, if you're up to that, let me know. Sure, that'd be fun. So monster badness. Now uh, I should mention that our strange realities conference uh, that we just did here about a month or so ago that uh, we actually featured some of those um, films in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, how did uh, you guys become a part of this? <laughs> well, Zuri messaged me. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Um, Zuri was kind of the, the glue that, that brought it all together and, she came up with basically the idea of how mm-hmm. she wanted it to look. Uh, Heather wrote the scripts. I did the narrating and then edited everything together. So yeah. And Josh Stewart out, does the illustrations, yeah, the custom original illustrations. It just, it all gelled together really nicely. Mm-hmm. And then Heather and I'd worked together. I'd met her from Shannon's blog where she does the, the weird writer thing. And I'd, I think you had something that I wanted you to narrate for my channel last year and you did that. Mm-hmm. And then you yeah. narrated a couple of my stories. We've gone back and forth and stuff. And then now I'm, I'm in addition to my channel, I'm doing the missing persons and mysteries channel. And I've had Heather on there mm-hmm. as a guest before talking about some things. So, mm-hmm. and she's, she writes for that channel as well. She does some of the, the scripts for there. Yeah. We need to talk about that too. Um, Cause definitely, like I said, we had you on before talking about that steve and i I tell you um i think i've told you many times i could listen to you read the phone book so i think (laughs) they found the i think they found the you guys have found the uh, perfect narrator for all these and i actually um had the pleasure of writing one of the scripts for one of those that was the the dover demon Mm -hmm. that i kind of uh, adapted from um from jerome clark's book which really isn't uh, too much about the Dover demon really, that's uh, really too, too, that's really new, honestly. That's what makes right. it such a, such a fascinating case. Yeah. I'd heard about yeah. it in uh, Jim Brandon wrote a book called weird America. It came out in 1978 and that was the first place I'd heard of it. And then I think Lauren Coleman and uh, Jerome both written about it. But uh, I had a yeah. unique experience. I met one of the witnesses to the Dover Demon back in the 80s. <laughs> and uh, I cannot remember the, the guy's name now, Bill. It was, do you remember which one it was, Heather? The, uh, no. It was but like it, a Bill and a William, but it was the one they called Bill. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I was spending a few months in New York City. I had a friend from high school that was going to NYU, and her uh, parents were wealthy, and they would gotten her an apartment in the East Village. And I went up there and spent a few months on her couch. And one night, a bunch of us had gone over into Massachusetts to a party or something. And uh, we ended up at this place in, uh, in Dover. And I mentioned the Dover Demon. Mm. And then all of a sudden, everybody got really excited, like, Bill, Bill, get in here, get in here. And it was one of the guys who had witnessed the Dover Demon. Oh, really? He was just, he, yeah. he didn't really want to talk about it, though. He was just like, mm, yeah, whatever. But <laughs> well, let's uh, let's talk about that case because I mean this this is one that's always really fascinated me because it is 
it's a really just a one-off there's yeah. there's there's no repeat of it at all and like i said i mean there's you know uh, jerome clark wrote about it um and lauren coleman actually investigated it he was actually the guy mm-hmm. on the scene at that time but other than that you you don't you don't really have anything else that even slightly resembles it and and to me that's what makes it like a great great cryptid case yeah it was interesting because that it's like you said it was um sort of a one-off that night and it was less than 24 hours that those sightings occurred um i said it's over the course of two nights but if you look at the time stamps pretty sure that it's less than 24 hours between the different sightings right and um I don't know. It, it's very intriguing. Have you ever looked at the map of that area? Because we're pretty, I mean, the, the reports are pretty clear on where these sightings happened. And um, they kind of form this like triangle, the roads do, where they intersect because they were all on roads that connect to each other. Mm-hmm. And in the center is uh, like a, a wildlife preservation, I believe, like a little well, I don't know how little it is because I haven't been there to see it physically, but a lake or a pond of some sort is right in the center, which I thought was really interesting because there is a character from folklore that kind of fits this description, which is escaping my mind right now. Um, but it, that particular character usually frequents um, waterways and wildlife areas and doesn't really cause any issues unless it's been upset like okay. it's been offended and I wish that I could remember what it's called, but it's slipping my mind at this point. I'm going through my notes right now. <laughs> kind of like a, kind of like a troll like kind of character or something like that. Yeah. It wasn't, the word wasn't troll and I don't know. I think I know what you're talking about and I can't think of the word either. It's. I don't feel like it's puck wedgie. I don't think that that's it. It was similar to that, but that, that but, wasn't the one I'm thinking of either. I have this all in documents because I'm always researching stuff. But if I find it, I'll shout it uh, out yeah, randomly. It, it, <laughs> I mean, the, with the, the oversized head and stuff, it yep. kind of reminded you of a gray. Right. But mm-hmm. yet it, it, it didn't. And then it had like the, the spindly legs and arms, again, like a gray. But then it had like suction cups and things that they mm-hmm. observed where it was wrapping its fingers around the tree and stuff and it didn't to me it didn't appear that anybody any of the witnesses felt anything evil or malevolent off of it it was more like it was scared of them because yeah yeah when the one yeah. guy approached and he thought it was somebody from school and he like yelled at it and it stopped and then when he got closer it took off and ran down the ditch and back up the other side yeah so. yeah almost like it was just like an animal of some sort you know like mm-hmm. it just it, it just had that same kind of fight or flight um, mm-hmm. response yeah but it didn't have any fur or anything like that um, yeah I that think they I described recall. it as being um, I mean there was I think there was some discrepancy on the color I think yeah. like one person but I mean that could have just been the light the, the mm-hmm. light conditions of the time right it was seen that's true and they said that it had like and I think you mentioned like the similarity of the grays, but I think that Steve, I think that they say that it had like small eyes that it didn't really have like large eyes at all. Yeah. That's, that's what I remember. I, that's, I haven't looked at that case since we made that video and I, I didn't know you wrote the script for that one. That was a good script. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, that was that was me. That was, <laughs> it's always been one that uh, since I've read that book, that's like really stood out to me for some yeah. odd reason because it's the just same. so when damn. I saw it in so Weird America. And, you know, they had the pictures there. They had the witnesses, and then the the drawings that they had made the the similar drawings and things. And that was the other thing that I don't think they really knew each other. But yet what they drew was almost exactly the same thing. So it was obvious that it was a, a shared sighting or similar sighting. But mm-hmm. and again, like you said, it was all just within the space of two nights, but within 24 hours over those two nights. And yeah. then that was it. And where'd it come from? Where'd it go? Yeah. Fascinating. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it is. It is an absolutely, absolutely fascinating case. Um, I've just, I wonder if there's been any, maybe other parts of the world that have seen similar things and it just doesn't get connected up or, or what would be happening there. Yeah. It's absolutely possible, especially if we label them differently, you know, um, people tend to not cross reference. Like when I was in Southeast Asia, there was a, a village there in Thailand where they had seen some small creature and uh, the skeptics, the local skeptics there said it was like a monkey with the mange or something that lost all its hair. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what they described there, but it wasn't, it wasn't really like a monkey though with the, as far as the shape of the head and things like that, unless it was deformed, but I don't know. I've, I've never really heard anything other than that one story mm-hmm. that was even remotely similar to it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a fascinating, fascinating case. Um, I, I've always, like I said, it's always had this, uh, this uh, real love for it. Uh, we could talk about a little bit about, um, I guess closer to home, I guess for us here, uh, Steve would be uh knobby, the Tennessee <laughs> wild man. Yeah. That, that was an interesting one. And it's like, He's kind of like a Bigfoot, but not a Bigfoot, or they called it, I think, the Tennessee Bigfoot. Well, yeah, Nobby and the Tennessee Wildman are two different entities, though, because uh, Nobby was in North Carolina, oh, and then okay. the uh, Tennessee right. Wildman. Right. 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 <laughs> I forgot, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. But now, in Ohio, don't you have something like the Grassman, and then that similar to Bigfoot, but not? Oh, yeah. And- We've got the Grassman and the Minerva Monster. Those are... So Those yeah, yeah, Nobby was in North Carolina. I remember that now. But mm-hmm. know, the Tennessee Wildman, it was like they were describing a Bigfoot, but one of his prominent features was a, a beard in the later sightings. They saw it over a long period of time, but it seemed to be the same one that had aged and it had grown this long beard. So Yeah, Nobby was similar. Heard of a Bigfoot with a beard. Yeah. Nobby was very similar with that, where mm-hmm. um he has the long gray beard too. Yeah. Those two, that's the only Bigfoot type creatures I've heard of that had a discernible beard like that. Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder are they related because that's, you know, the areas aren't that far apart. Sure. Well, and the one thing that I thought was interesting with the Tennessee wild man, if I'm recalling correctly, some of the reports were specifically about the creature coming down and taking women. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Or trying to abduct women, maybe not necessarily grabbing a woman, but um, trying to, letting out this crazy scream before trying to grab a woman, where um, I don't recall ever seeing that about Nobby. No. So. 
but there were sightings initially, I think Tennessee Wyoming was like in, it's either in West or Middle Tennessee, but then later on there was a sighting in, I think it's Elizabethan or somewhere like that, farther mm-hmm. east. So yeah. that would be maybe like a migratory route or something, see West, Middle, East Tennessee, and then over in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. So I don't remember the dates specifically, and it might have been going the other direction, but... I know that it was seen in uh, either western middle Tennessee first, and then later on there was a sighting in Tennessee in East Tennessee. Yeah, I think Nobby was in the um, which coincides with so many sightings that I've looked into in like the 70s, I think, is when Nobby was sighted and then kind of went dormant after the initial flap of sightings and then came back just a few years ago. And that's where mm-hmm. they saw the gray beard, where I'm pretty sure. I don't have the script right in front of me, but I think the wild man was either late 1800s or early 1900s. Not that they still don't see things like that today, but I feel like mm-hmm. the initial sightings were a lot sooner than yeah. that. Oh yeah, 1800s mm-hmm. in McNair County. So it's either really old or there's a, a family of them and they, mm-hmm. they all age that way. Yeah. But, uh, and then uh, I, I did a video on the Bennington Triangle, and they had a similar creature up there that it it would go after women. And um, there was one instance where it uh, flipped over a, a stagecoach, mm. and uh, the people in the stagecoach said it peered in the window and then screamed and then ran away. So I don't know <laughs> what that was all about. Didn't like what it saw or just <laughs> thought it a good idea to scream, but... That that whole area through the Appalachians from all the way up, there's there's tales of wild men and things. There's stories like that in the Smokies, and they don't really talk about it. The the people, particularly from Cades Cove and the North Shore and Fontana Lake and some of those places where it's been seen, they don't really talk about it like a Bigfoot, but they say it's like a, a different race of people, a race of wild men that uh, that live in the woods and there was some stories like that going back to the 1800s mm-hmm. right which kind of figures into the dennis lloyd martin case yeah exactly i was just gonna say well. there's a guy uh, on youtube called south force 10 and uh he's from the air i think he lives in cades cove it's from cades cove and supposedly has some insider knowledge and he talks about uh the government hiring people to go in and hunt these men and kill them to like thin it out once they got so bold that they were attacking people and stuff. And according to him, now this is all his insider knowledge or family passed down info or whatever, but that's why the, the green berets were called in on the Dennis Martin case. They went in and slaughtered this family of, of wild people that were, were not just wild men, but there were wild women and children there too. And uh, they went in and took them out, but it was too late to save Dennis. So are they talking about like normal sized human beings that are living out there in the woods? Well, I think they do tend to be of a bigger stature and they're, they're covered in hair, but I mean, it sounds like a Bigfoot, but it's not. There's, I'm not sure where the, the distinctions, I mean, I'm sure there's some blurred lines there, but that they are taller, they have a taller stature and they're apparently they're, they're very strong. And uh, but some of them I've heard are not as, as completely covered in hair. While they have a a lot of hair on them, they're not completely covered, you know, in a shaggy coat or anything like right. a, a typical Bigfoot, but uh, still covered in hair. I, I, I don't know how they would be able to get away with something like that legally. 
without a lot of people knowing. Yeah. That seems um, odd to me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, look for that guy's channel, South Force 10. And uh, it, it really, I mean, it's, it's, it's way, way out there thinking, but mm-hmm. it ties it up in the neatest package I've ever heard in regards to the Dennis Martin disappearance. Even the part about uh, the FBI field agent from Knoxville that was over the case that uh, committed suicide in uh, a nightclub on Kingston Pike in Knoxville. And it was supposedly because of what he knew that had gone on there with all that. Huh. <laughs> it's, okay. it's a rabbit hole, man, I'm telling you. Uh, that's I, – I, I mean, I had heard of the whole wild men connection. Of course, that's like an integral part of the case, mm-hmm. you know, that they saw the – I guess the – large hairy person carrying someone that was one of the you know we've we've talked about this on the show before and i've talked yeah, the, about it with micah hanks that was but, the, the, the key family sighting which was yeah. not too far from where dennis disappeared where they saw what they described as a, a hairy or shaggy looking unkempt man running up the, the hollow with something over his back after they'd heard the most blood-curdling scream they'd ever heard and uh, there was, he's retired now, but there was a park ranger and he was one of the ones that assisted in the search for Dennis Martin. His name's Dwight. I can't remember. Dwight McCarter, I believe. And I've actually seen interviews with him that wasn't about the Dennis Martin case where he talked about at one time there were wild people, wild men, as he described it, that lived in the national park. But, I mean, there's, there's some rugged wilderness back in there in some of those places and there's certain areas they call hells which are they call them that because it's just almost impossible to get through one of the most famous one is huggins hell hmm. and it would be possible i think to to get back in there and and live off the land and forage i mean there's there's game to hunt and trap there's things to eat um yeah i suppose you could fish <laughs> but uh dwight mccarter said that he knew of at one time that there were, that there were stories and he just, it was kind of one of those things where he acknowledged it, but he didn't. But uh, apparently there were wild people that, that lived in the park, even after they, they cleared everybody out. So do you think that a possibility that the Tennessee wild man could be, could be some of these people or could be, Whoever, I, I, I don't what? rule out anything. Just some yeah. of the stuff I've seen and experienced. I don't. <laughs> I can't, you know, judge anything or deny anything. But uh, the Cherokee, you know, they have legends of uh, a Bigfoot-like creature that lives in the mountains there. Yeah, it's just it's another race. I mean, they also have uh, little people that live there. There's a, supposedly a race of very small people, two or three feet tall, that right. the, the Cherokee were familiar with, but they were. They didn't get along too well, so they avoided them, but they acknowledged them. Yeah, you get the moon-eyed people, too. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, that's, I mean, I guess that it's entirely a possibility. I'm, I'm going to have to check this uh, channel out because that's uh, interesting. Said if, if a tenth of what the guy says he knows yeah. is true, it's, it's astounding. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's talk about Nobby a little bit, uh, since I kind of, you know, conflated them. Yeah, I did the same thing <laughs> right down that road with you. There's, there's, so, there's so many wild men, you know, it's just, uh, 
Right. It's par for the course. <laughs> it's hard to keep up with them. <laughs> yeah, Navi was in, um, I think the first sighting was 1978, so late 70s. Um, and he was named after Carpenter's Knob, an area down in Cleveland County, North Carolina. Um, one of the most interesting things, which is skipping ahead toward the end of the sightings, the more recent ones, there was an interview. Um, if you just Google Nobby, you'll come up with some recent interviews with a person who's seen them lately. And I'm pretty sure the last name of the person is Cook. Um, I know one of the first people to see Nobby in, this, in the 70s was someone named Minnie Cook. But anyway, one of the more recent sightings, they talk about feeding him um, moon pies apparently he prefers sweets so uh but yeah it started off um i think the end of 1978 like the tail end of it that um a woman walked outside and she kind of saw this tall hair covered creature amongst the wood line got a little bit nervous and then there were other sightings in the area and pretty soon word got out and the next thing the little community knew was there were tv stations and of course it's just like any other small town when these sightings start it's tv stations radio stations and then truckfuls of people or trucks full of people just coming in to hunt it and they even um, made a song about him yeah they did which and, steve uh, put in this put in the video well that was the second song when oh, he came okay. back then somebody else recorded a song called Nobby's Back, and it's very tongue-in-cheek, but if, if you listen to the Nobby video, I've got it at the end of it. But um, it became such a, a popular thing there. They, the community, at least they used to, um, they really embraced it. You can find old newspaper articles where they have pictures of people with T-shirts with Nobby on it. Um, so I think that's pretty smart, actually. And I, I love that, like when that. they embrace it and celebrate, yeah. like you've got the Mothman Festival. Oh, yeah. Uh, the um, uh, Bishopville, uh, South Carolina. The uh, Is that Lizard Man? Lizard Man. Mm -hmm. I went through there one time, stopped at a gas station, and they've got like one whole corner of the store. <laughs> There's like Lizard Man keychains yeah. and Lizard Man t-shirts and Lizard Man coffee mugs and Lizard Man air fresheners. Like, yeah. you know, this is great. You know, every every yes. town, every little community that has some oddity or something weird, that's what they should do. They should celebrate it, market it, merchandise it. Sure. Why yeah, not? definitely don't hide it because that's something that um, something that I noticed whenever um, doing the research for um, Momo, the Missouri monster for small town monsters. That was a small town called Louisiana, Missouri. And in the beginning, when the sightings first started there, Momo was a Bigfoot creature um they kind of embraced it to begin with and then they kind of swept it under the rug after that they didn't want to talk about it they still aren't too keen on talking about it but you know these small towns especially i, I just don't see how it couldn't be a source of revenue you know yeah. well look at point pleasant i mean that, right. that's a big money maker there i know i was heartbroken when the festival couldn't go on because that's a major hit i'm sure but, yeah. so why do you think, Heather, that um, some places don't embrace it? Why do you think they're embarrassed about these things? Um, well, I think a lot of it depends on how the community immediately handles it. Although with the case of Louisiana, 
Missouri, they seem to embrace it to begin with. But over time, I think they feel like they're sort of becoming a joke. Um, Minerva was sort of like that with Minerva Monster. Um, even with the initial sightings, people showed up and radios and television and stuff showed up, but the family was ridiculed pretty heavily. And so they just stopped talking about it and they kind of hide it. And I don't know, they must see it as a, the community at large must see it as a sort of a source of shame or, mm-hmm. I don't know. And then particularly in the deep South, you get the religious angle in there too. Yeah. The religious oh, people. Yeah. Uh, won't acknowledge it or, or want to talk about it because it's, you know, it's something, it's an aberration, it's evil, it's an abomination, it's, mm-hmm. you know, something to send, sent here because the town was cursed or whatever, one of those things, you know. I think it, I think it took some time for Point Pleasant, just using them as an example, and they're probably the best example. Mm-hmm. I think it took some time for them to really embrace it too. Sure. I mean, once, once the, uh, the silver bridge collapsed in the aftermath of that obviously they were dealing with that and that profound right. grief that happened over that event and they probably wanted to forget for a little while i think really probably in the 90s going towards that and then the movie came out I mean, you know jeff walmsley i think was one of the people that really kind of revived a lot of that oh yeah that interest yeah, he's got to the museum there yeah mm-hmm. and i think he started even before the movie came out i think he already started that sure. but um i think once the i think once the movie came out and it was a reasonable success i think that uh, point pleasant started to really embrace it yeah and it's that way with a lot of haunted places too i remember years and years ago the first time i went to the the martha washington inn in abingdon virginia which is very actively haunted yeah. uh, it'd been all kinds of things it'd been a girls school it was used as a morgue during the civil war and uh, they actually had to store the bodies in the basement until the spring thaw so they could bury him. And it was just a uh, shush they wouldn't talk about. There was a, an older gentleman there that was a concierge, and he, you could get him to talk. You'd have to, to slip him a little bit of money, you know, catch him when he's on break, and he would <laughs> tell you the stories and stuff. But now they embrace it. They talk about it. I think they've even got it on their website. Yeah. And it's just – it's was, you know, kind of a, a shame or, you know, we don't talk about that sort of thing to now – I think there's almost like a, a new golden age, new renaissance, if you will, in the paranormal because of all these shows and because of all the interest in it and these places see it, you know, it may be a marketing thing, but still it's, it's the history of that place and, and should be celebrated. Yeah. And then you get places like, um, like Gettysburg, you know, that it's, everybody knows that there are tons of books and things about Gettysburg being haunted, but I was actually in contact with one of the, um, park rangers for the National Park Service because I was researching cursed objects, uh, particularly items that get taken from somewhere and then returned later with a letter of apology or regret. And so I had tracked down a park ranger who then forwarded me a handful of letters that they get every year from people taking rocks or sticks or whatnot from like Devil's Den in particular and other places around Gettysburg. And then of course their life falls apart. They send it back and tell them, you know, I I picked it up by this tree, please return it to the exact same spot. Um, But to the national park service, um, they, they don't, they don't like to talk about it too much because um, people actively removing parts from the park is something they're trying to discourage. So and um, you have that out here, well, like the the petrified uh, forest and some oh, of that yeah. stuff. There's mm-hmm. 
you're not supposed to take it. Of course, I think it's a, a federal offense, I believe. Yeah. But there's people that will they'll get these little little box in the mail, you know, they open up a piece of petrified wood, and <laughs> I took this. Please put it back. It was this area, <laughs> and you've got that in so many places. Chris Kirby at the Bell Witch Cave in yep. Adams, Tennessee. When I was there years ago, even then, she had a, a book of letters, you know, and people oh, yeah. said, I, I took this rock, put it back, you know, and yep. uh, anywhere, pictures of Robert the doll, you know, that's when you go see. <laughs> oh, yeah, Robert. Key West. And we, yeah. we've, got, we've had some interesting interaction with tiny Roberts lately. <laughs> uh, yes. An episode of the caravan that we all did together that was – Robert the Doll episode, and it wasn't meant to be. By the way, it was not meant to be a Robert the Doll episode. That way, but yeah, if you take his picture and don't ask for permission, then all kinds of bad things can happen. And there, uh, at the the artist's house, they have a wall full of pictures that people have sent back and say, "I took his picture. I didn't ask permission. You know, please take this, keep it." But now when you order those dolls, don't they tell you that they can't be returned? Uh, yes. So um, so Lady Anne and I both, <laughs> she ordered it first. I didn't even know this was a thing you could do. But once I saw that she did it, I was like, oh, man, I want one. Um, so if you go to the museum's website down in Key West, that actually is the home of Robert the Doll, they have a shop and you can buy little, uh, like a miniature of Robert the Doll. And it comes with, well, first of all, you have to sign up. I guess in a, a terms of uh, terms of agreement that nothing can be returned, but there's also, I'm pretty sure there's a little note that came with it that explained that <laughs> they don't take return. They don't take returns. So once you have Robert, if things go poorly, I guess ship him off to some museum or she something. Cause they're not taking him back. Yeah. That was funny. The night that we did that, we didn't know Anne had that one. And she turns on her web camera and like peeking over her shoulder. Here's a tiny Robert, the doll. Yeah. What is that? And then all these weird things happened. It was um, it was like a Zoom meeting like this, or was yeah. it? I think it was Uber. It was Uber conference. And we had a call from an unknown number come in while we were doing this meeting, and yes. it was just it was like zero seconds or something from some other place in Oregon. Mm -hmm. And then we searched <laughs> the number on uh, the internet where you know you can look up annoyance calls or whatever, and there was an entry in there where somebody had said. Uh, that they they called it back, and it was some weird kid named Robert who just laughed and hung up. Yeah, <laughs> and the thing is, is that the 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 log on that call was, was from, from a year, a year ago, in the future or something like that. Yeah, it, it? yeah, and it wasn't in the future. It was just because uh, I think we recorded on October sixteenth, so but it either the, had to be it was October seventeenth, or at least a year before one of the yeah. other. Yeah. So that that was a strange episode, but you know I'm, I've noticed that Cisco and I've had that happen. Uh, Cisco Murdoch, uh, we wrote a book together. We've done a lot of shows together. A lot of times, strange things will happen when uh, we're on a show together. I know we were on with Soraya one time on Where'd the Road Go, and he lost control of all his recording equipment. Uh, he couldn't stop it, but it, he just let it run. And uh, you know how Cisco and I are when we get together. So we were just talking, and finally, a couple hours in, we're like. Sarai's still there? Did he fall asleep? And you, you can hear us, you know, looking for him on the tape, and he could hear us, but he couldn't. We couldn't hear him or anything. And well, Soraya uh, has a bunch of weird stuff surrounding him too. So that's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I've had people tell me, "Oh, I was listening to you on this show," and uh, one lady wrote and told me that the uh, she had a 
glass bowl of wax fruit on her coffee table. And while I was telling, I think it was a black eyed kid's story, it shattered into a million pieces. Mm-hmm. And that's another one. Anytime I've ever told that black eyed kid's story, just about something weird will happen, sometimes more so than others. You know, um, yeah, that's a really creepy story, too. And you told that on this show, too. Um, so people can go back and find that. But, yeah, the Bell Witch Cave. Now, I've, I've not ever been to the Bell Witch Cave. And honestly. What? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I know. Honestly, <laughs> I, I'm not. What? I don't really understand the connection of the cave to the case. Okay. Are you ready for the connection? Here's the connection. Yeah. So <laughs> in one of the stories that we have, um, it's, it's actually, obviously it's not the main part of the story. We have a lot that happens. that's not part of the cave, but there is one story about a boy going into the cave. And I can't remember if it was a neighbor boy or one of the bell children, but he goes into the cave and he tries to crawl back in because you would know this if you'd gone to the cave. There are two two big rooms in a, a connecting walkway. And then it goes deeper than that, but it really narrows out. So they can't take tours back there. And you'd have to really crawl and squeeze through. And this boy tried to squeeze in and he got stuck. Okay. And he started yelling and carrying on. And supposedly the witch yanked him out because he was stuck. She yanked him out and then... Um, later commented about him getting stuck in there and to not fool around anymore or something like that, because, you know, she was really good at um, telling people what they should and should not do. And there was other stuff like that. I think they heard her singing in the cave before. And yeah, there were just... voices around something called the enchanted spring. Oh, but also mm-hmm. the um, above the cave there, of course, this is all over that area of Tennessee. And I would imagine, um, most places around there, but right above the cave, there are graves, um, like a burials from ancient tribes. And so, uh, the story where is it jury and a friend go and take the, they're digging around. They find one of these mounds and they pull a skull out Yeah, and they bring it back. I have heard this. Yeah. That's yeah. So I'm, talked about that yeah yeah i'm wondering if that it may have been i would have to go back i'm wondering if that may have been the same one that like the same mound because we know that there are uh burials above that cave specifically that's interesting um you know Sophia and i ran across something um and of course we're we're fascinated by the whole mound builder stuff um mm-hmm. and all that um and then, of course, I mean, you you being in Ohio, Heather, I mean, there's yeah. it's replete with mounds. I mean, that's where um, oh, yeah. Cahokia is and the Serpent Mound and all that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's interesting because there was a, uh, I think it was Joe Nickel. Mm-hmm. Uh, a skeptic was one yes. of the ways that he de- tried to debunk the Bell Witch story is that uh, he said that it's actually a Masonic allegory. Oh, stop. So. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. There's yeah. something, there's something no, no. to that. There's something to yeah, it. Yeah, I know because I, I've read that too. And he talks about um, like toward the end there, the end of the, the story right before John Bell dies, the last time that he's physically outside of the house and he gets seized with this fit and, um, 
his son is with him and they're trying to walk back to the house and his shoes keep flying off of his feet. And his son would come and try to put shoes back on him. And no sooner would he get his shoes off and try to walk again, that the shoes would fly off of his feet. And that was some sort of Masonic um, connection there. Of course, I'm not a Mason. I couldn't be if I wanted. Um, But I have heard that that is one of the Masonic uh, connections. You could join the Order of the Eastern Star. I could, but I don't want to. And, (laughs) (laughs) but there's just, see, here's the other thing though, is there are so many other parts to this story that are simply folklore, you know, um, that has nothing to do with the Masonic Lodge. Um, And I partially wonder if some of the connections that he's made, um, aren't sort of just wanting there to be a connection because there's a mystery to the Masonic Lodge, you know? Other things. I've, I've heard uh, like in the Jack the Ripper stuff, there's a whole book about how that was a Masonic. The, yeah. The way the bodies laid out with the, the intestines striped over the shoulder and mm-hmm. things like that. that yeah, it, that weird graffiti that was on the wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but in general, there's there's stuff um, in the, the Bell Witch story that goes back well, not only like uh, Appalachian folklore, but goes back even further. You can you can find ties in the way that she is represented in the in the books to the way that witches are discussed in the Malayas Maleficarum. Um, I mean, it goes way back. I, I just don't think. I don't know. I get what he's saying with some of it, but I I'm not buying it. <laughs> I just I just found it to be an interesting. Just an, it, what an interesting sure. way to debunk it is that that it's a Masonic allegory, and then that, like he would just leave it there. My question yeah. would be is like, well, why? Why right. is it a Masonic allegory? <laughs> right, exactly. You know, who's What's making this point? allegory? Yeah. Yeah. What's the point of it? That's the right. other thing. Like, why? What? Like you said, what's why? Why go to that length? <laughs> it's 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 interesting how the mounds um, pop up in the in the legend. Yeah. That's fascinating to me, and the fact that the that the kid pulls out the stone, and uh, I remember Troy Taylor. I saw him uh, talk about this at a uh, conference a long time ago, mm-hmm. and he talked about how you know that that's when it really started. Was the Bell sons dug into this Indian mound, and then all of a sudden people started seeing this large dog-like creature, yeah. and then the manifestations kind of just ramped up from there. Yeah, it's. You know, the part of the um, part of the way that it's described in, in some of the original texts, um, and I say original in that that's like the oldest that we physically have right now, but it wasn't necessarily like I don't know the whole. It's it's shady. Anyway, <laughs> um, right. they bring up the idea of when when they're demanding for the witch to tell them who she is. You know, why, why are you here? Who are you? She goes through an entire list of things, but she, she touts them along for a while. She says that she's a spirit who's been disturbed. And so that's when the story comes up of the boys taking the skull and then bringing it to the house. And they either threw it against the wall or dropped it. And a tooth goes down through the floor. Mm-hmm. And so John yeah, Bell, yeah. yeah, he starts digging up underneath. They can't find the tooth. And then the witch laughs at them. So then she says that she is, uh, or she was a traveler who, had a treasure buried underneath a rock near the red river. And she takes, she tells them exactly where to go and keep digging, keep digging. And the guys dig all day long to no avail. And then that night she laughs at them again. She just never really gives them a clear 
a clear answer. I mean, she tells them at first she is, but she was just messing with them. But um, yeah, that's, I don't know if that, I guess I'd have to go back and look at the timeline because I wasn't necessarily sure that that's exactly where it started. Um, as far as the boys necessarily bring that up, that's, that's certainly a way to look at it because she does claim that that is part of it. But that's also in the story the same time where she laughs at them for believing that when they tear up their floors and then gives them another story to follow another well, lead. There's some bird like creature too, in addition yeah. to the dog that they shot sure. at. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and, uh, the boys saw life with tales. And I heard one story about somebody who was taking a, a bath at, at one point in the red river there at the little waterfall mm-hmm. and said loud, they wish they had a bar of soap and one came <laughs> over the falls and then they heard presumed to be the bell witch laughing about it. Yeah. She would have, mm-hmm. She would also like teleport in fruit from like yeah. the Caribbean and fruit and nuts and things that would rain down right. on the, the mom's lap. Um, right. Yeah. On Lucy's. 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 Couldn't remember yeah. her name. Yeah. So you've got all and these then, weird uh, kind of apport things that going on, which are, yeah. are also part of um, poltergeist cases. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, Jeff, the talking mongoose. I was just very, thinking of very, that. I, very I, similar. Man, same thing. They, they yeah. could hear him. They couldn't see him. He would leave gifts and stuff. I think he did reveal himself one time and they decided he was a mongoose like looking thing, but the same, almost <laughs> exact type of, activity going on there yeah you know um because i was really heavy into the research for the bell witch for um the mark of the bell witch that's going to be coming out by small town monsters here and um when i was looking into old newspaper articles i came across one about something called the springfield ghost which the article was printed in if i'm remembering correctly i think the 1850s ish Mm -hmm. or 1880s but it was a similar thing and they actually reference the bell witch haunting in that article they talk about there was a store or a building which was the home of a doctor at the time and that there were these sounds and voices and people were coming from all over for a period of two nights and then after that i can't find anything in the in the newspapers anymore but people were coming and they were camping outside much like they did at the bell witch home or the bell witch home, the John Bell's home. And I just thought it was interesting that in the final few lines, they say that there was something known as the bell witch that had been in nearby um, Adams uh, several decades before. Adam, I've got a question for you. Did yeah. you grow up in the Nashville area? Is that where you're from? No, originally? I grew up down here in Chattanooga, but I okay. do, I, I, I do the Bell Witch legend. Yeah, I, I knew it growing up too. And one thing I told Heather about that she'd never heard, when I was a kid, there was a thing like Bloody Mary, except you go into the bathroom, look in the mirror with the lights off, and you say, I don't believe in the Bell Witch three times. And she come out and yeah, scratch it. Yeah. Heather never heard that. Did you hear that one growing up? I think I did, yeah. I think I did. <laughs> did you do it? No, I never oh. did it. I never had <gasps> the courage to, uh, call, okay. to call on the, I was at call a on the Bell Witch. kid <laughs> birthday party one time where one of the girls did it. And she came out with a scratch on her face, but everybody was pretty much sure that she did it herself just for the attention. And <laughs> then there was another playground legend about the, the Bell Witch book that um, the, the big library downtown, you could never find it. It was always checked out. And then when it did show back up, they kept it in the reference section and wouldn't let you take it out of the library. And the story that grew behind why that happened was that uh, 
somebody had checked it out and it was weeks overdue. And then when they finally, somebody had gone to check on this guy for something, they found him dead in his bed and he'd been there for a while and he was reading the Bell Witch book. I've heard that. I heard that. <laughs> heard yeah. that growing up in yeah. the 70s. Yeah. I, I had a, uh, I remember I had like a seventh grade, uh, one of my seventh grade teachers, I remember told us all the whole stuff. And now you kind of look back on it now and you kind of think, well, a lot of it's probably just urban legend. Um, now, you know, like Tennessee is very well known, but especially in the Nashville area, middle Tennessee, it's much more, much more part of the, I guess, overriding feel up there. Mm -hmm. And if you go over to, if you go to Adams and I have been up to Adams, Adams does have a very strange feeling. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, everybody, it's one of those things that until you're there, you can't really understand exactly how small Adams is. Yeah. There's it's really ex- nothing there. Yeah. There's, yeah. It's really, really tiny. Um, but it's, this is also one of those things when people talk about debunking these stories, especially ones that have been around for 200 years, right? This is the 200th anniversary here on December 20th of John Bell's death by the witch or poisoning or whatever, if you want to debunk it and not have fun with it. But um, <laughs> these, these stories that have been around for so long and then still influence people today, I just, I really enjoy looking at how that's affected us as humans, I guess, in our storytelling in the communities. And I, rather than spending so much time trying to debunk it, yeah, it could have been that MV Ingram made it up. Why? I have no idea. But it doesn't really matter to me if he did or not, because it's still affecting things today. It's affecting the local economy in, in Adams. It's affecting the people that go see this cave and then take a rock and send it back. Um, and it's not just the cave either. If you go to the high school, the old high school, which is now like the town hall slash Moss's restaurant slash uh, Adams Museum, you know, slash community theater because they all put it in that building slash gas station. (laughs) Yeah. Like if you, if you go there, they will tell you at least Tim Henson will, who's the historian. um, They get people sending things back to them at the school because Mm -hmm. they took it, whether it was a goose feather or they went, bought the little red book, um, which was Ingram's book and things happen and they send it back. You know, that's in our psyche. And I find that more fascinating than trying to, debunk stuff i guess well see and i don't th- know if they still do it or not but they used to have a thing there called the bell witch opry where they mm. put on like a, a stage like a musical presentation nice. about the bell witch is that still there heather or do you know so every october except this year because of covid they have been doing something called the spirit play mm-hmm. um and i know what you're talking about with the opry and i think that's a separate thing but the spirit play they do that they have a little festival And it is in October and usually includes um, uh, Bob Bell, who is a direct descendant, and then other local people from the area and descendants if they can get them in to retell the story. Yeah. So, you know, my personal opinion about the Bell Witch, I think that there is, uh, I think that something real did happen. Mm -hmm. Uh, Probably some kind of real kind of poltergeist case. Yeah. Yeah. But it was so distant and so long ago, people weren't really studying that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's really kind of wrapped up in its mythology and in its legend. It's been, um, it's probably been over-exaggerated quite mm-hmm. a few times. But uh, I have to wonder, 
if it's when people take things from the cave <laughs> and they have these problems or they believe mm-hmm. that there's a curse on it, you know, is it just all these people going in to this cave with this preset notion that we're walking into the bell, Witch cave. So then that gives the cave almost kind of like its own kind of power, its own kind sure. of energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, a few years ago, I actually, I gathered, this is the whole reason that I was um, in contact with the national park service, a ranger. I gathered letters from Gettysburg, had some from the Bell Witch Cave, and then also from Hawaii, because people will take the lava rocks. Mm-hmm. And then I presented at a conference overseas, and um, it was just the conference itself was about letters, but the letters that I wanted to talk about were these letters of regret and apology based on cursed items. I... I I dove into that a little bit of some of these people you can kind of tell based on their, the wording in their letters, if they get wordy, because a lot of times it's just like a sentence or so, if anything, sometimes they'll just send the item back without any letter. But um, sometimes you can tell that they had like a preconceived notion, you know, like I was warned, you can't go into the bell, Witch cave and not know that there's uh, warnings. They have the letters posted in the, in the gift shop where you buy your tickets before you go down to the cave, you know, like that's already there. So that's already in your mind. Um, but then there are the letters where say it's a grandmother who took her granddaughter to the cave or wherever, and then they come home and things are happening. And I, I think the one, the one letter was, I feel like apparitions were appearing at the foot of the bed and their granddaughter was getting scratched and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to figure out what is going on. And then the grandchild reveals that they took something. <laughs> and so I, I think also that, I mean, so there's those which are probably in the minority, but like you said, you, you go in there and you already have this preconceived notion. And then if your life falls apart or you're on your way home from the cave and your car breaks down and you've got a rock in your pocket <laughs> it's probably hard at that time unless you're a diehard skeptic, you know, to not have that in your head a little bit, like maybe, maybe I should have taken that rock. Um, But things have turned so drastic for people that they've had people show up and throw rocks over the gate on the days that they're closed because (laughs) things, yeah, because things went so poorly that, um, they honestly believe that that's what will save it. The, the interesting thing is, is that I don't know of any letters, and they may exist, but I don't know of any letters where they explain things got better since I sent the rock back. Thank you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> there's like no follow-up that I'm aware relief. of. Now, there, yeah. there's one that I know about here, just not far from where I live, and I've, I've got a video of it on my 13 Past Midnight channel. There's a thing called the Troll Bridge, Ooh, and yeah. it's an old unused railroad trestle, and at some point somebody put a troll doll up there with the troll dolls from the sixties with the the wild hair that stands up. And eventually more of them began to show up and people would come and put these trolls on there. Now there's all kinds of different troll dolls and paintings of trolls. And some of them are way up in the trestle, you know, 40 feet up there and stuff, but there's a legend with that now. And when I was researching that, I found a story of a lady locally who, and that's one of the things you cannot take one of the dolls. If you find one on the ground, 
you can pick it up and put it back on the bridge or you can bring your own and put it on the bridge, but do not take anything from the troll bridge. And I found a story from a lady out here that did. And then she took the little troll doll home. She lived alone, didn't have any pets or anything. And she started hearing like little feet scampering around at night and giggling oh, and things <laughs> like that. And it's, and you know, it started to become very active. It started to get worse. And she thought, what's well, this troll doll? So she took it and put it back. And then she said that everything stopped after that. So I guess it does happen. And maybe there's just yeah. such a, a relief there. Or maybe once it does stop, you think, well, maybe that was it. Maybe not. And you don't really want to you know, subscribe to that just for fear of ridicule or something. But I think there's, there's a lot of stuff like that where it does fix it and you just don't hear about it. You know, this reminded me, I want to say this before I forgot. The, um, so the podcast lore early on, I don't, I don't know which season it was. Um, Aaron Mankey talks about a ghost town out West. I don't know if it was California. I can't remember the state now, but they were having issues with tourists taking pieces of the town. And it became such an issue that the tour guides started to say, if you take something, you'll be cursed which absolutely had not been something that had been happening, but they said it kind of just to see what would happen. And so now they'll get their stuff back <laughs> with letters <laughs> saying that, oh, I took something in X, Y, and Z happened. Please return it. Um, I don't know if it slowed people down from taking things, but they're starting to get pieces back, I guess. And that was something where they just created it. It wasn't. Well, would that be yeah. like an inadvertent curse? Because we talked about that before. Oh, where, where, I see what you're you know, doing. Somebody. <laughs> Yeah, you know, because you know, there are people that say that life and death is in the power of the tongue, and that you can curse someone as you know, as in putting a curse on them. But there are people that believe that you can just by saying it something the wrong way, you can put a curse on someone. Oh, Steve, you just got deep there. I never <laughs> thought of that. <laughs> that the guy just by making it up oh. that actually created the curse, almost like you would create a tulpa or something. That's wicked. I've heard the same thing about. Uh, King Tut's tomb that mm -hmm. they just made that up to keep thieves from breaking in there and, and getting stuff. And that one of the guards who actually slept in the tomb never had any problems. But then again, who knows? Did they create the curse? Was it already there? Was it already there? And then that's what suggested to them to create it. I mean, there's, there's so many different ways you can go with that. I Charles Fort said you can measure a circle starting anywhere. <laughs> I, I think that what, what you, what you, you could be dealing with a couple of things. I mean, one could be psychological, right? You could mm -hmm. have a psychological effect. Yeah. You believe it. Therefore it starts to happen. You mind over matter. That, right. type, that type of thing. You know, like a lot of voodoo and stuff. Yeah. Like that, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the other could be that because people have willed it into, into belief Sure. And all the energy that has been put in something like the Bell Witch Cave, people believe mm -hmm. that this is where the Bell Witch is and all mm -hmm. that kind of energy that is put onto it. And it could be an essential negative energy onto mm -hmm. that environment is actually imprinted into the stone. And then they take the stone with them and it starts yeah. negative things into their life. I mean, you could be dealing with an effect that's kind of a cross between both. Man, that's also exciting to think about. <laughs> yeah, it's, 
<laughs> it's interesting. I mean, when you when you start getting into tulpas, I mean, that's when things start getting really because you know the yeah. we talked about Slender Man uh, with Nick yes. Redfern, and you know, I mean, Slender Man is something that was you know absolutely made up for creepy pasta. Yep. You know, eleven years ago, and then people start to actually see Slender Man. So, and then you know, you I, the I think little girls that were going to murder another little girl right. as a sacrifice to Slender Man. Where did I, they come up with I, that? I, act? You know, I, I, mean? I, th- I think the black eyed kids are, are another one of those. I think that that's, these are things that are manifested um, that, you know, kind of manifested from our own kind of collective subconscious. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So another place that um, really has embraced it is Hopkinsville. Oh, yeah. Or Kelly, rather. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Kelly Hopkinsville goblins. That place is really because every year. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I don't think they, they did it this year, obviously, but the they do their little like Kelly Greenman mm-hmm. celebration out there. Which I've yeah, that was never I think that was the to. first video we did for Monster Madness, and yes. that's a fun case. That's one of those where it's just so wild and so many different circumstances there where they were attacked by these creatures. You know, one of them was on the porch roof and grabbed the guy by the hair of the head when he came out, and and they were literally under siege. You know, they would shoot at them and eventually got in their truck, I think, and escaped to mm-hmm. went to the, the yeah. sheriff, and then but then. When they came back, as far as I know, that's, you know, that was the end of it. Now, so, you guys are from that area or, you know, you're well from Tennessee compared to Ohio, I guess. That's, of course, that's in Kentucky, but that's not that far from Adams, is it? Because no, it I feel really like isn't. I've it really seen isn't. the sign on the highway on the way down to Adams. So Hopkinsville is probably, Hopkinsville is probably a little bit like probably 50 miles out of Nashville. So. Mm-hmm. And they talked about that in Hellier, if you've seen that, how everything's kind of connected right. with what's going on in Hellier and other places, the Hopkinsville yeah. and other points. The cave system is what they point all that to. Mm. Yeah. And, and again, much like the Dover Demon, I mean, the Kelly Hopkinsville is kind of a one-off. I mean, people don't mm-hmm. see, um, haven't seen that particular type of, type of creature again. That's what's so wonderful about some of those cases from that time <laughs> period. Cause you, you, you mentioned the grays before Steve, like, you know, the grays is kind of in the eighties, they kind of took over mm-hmm. but from like the forties to the seventies. You had so many different kind of weird creatures and, and space people that people were seeing. And that's, what's just so great about that time period. Yeah. Have you ever heard it's It's from Britain, but there's a story called uh, the mince pie Martians. Have you ever heard that one? I don't think so. Uh, I've got a video of it on my channel, 13 Midnight, that I did last year at Christmas, uh, also known as Mrs. Hingley's Martians. And yeah, a lady claimed that a uh, craft uh, landed in her, her garden there in the UK around Christmas time, and these little men floated out of the ship, came in, and seemed like they were fascinated by everything. They would 
touch things and look at things and observe things and certain things that seemed to scare them. And they were fascinated by the Christmas tree. And then she had made mincemeat pies and they're like, Oh, what is this? So she fed them some of that and they loved it. And eventually they floated back out and left. But you know, what is that? What can, and this was, you know, an older lady. She, you know, no history of mental illness. She wasn't uh, into drink or drug or anything like that, but she, you know, very steadfastly insisted that this did indeed happen. And then again, you know, that's a one-off. That's just, you know, nobody else in the town, nowhere around there that I know of did. They, was there another sighting exactly like this one, you know, where the, the spaceship landed in the garden. And, <laughs> it's, it sounds like a, like, it sounds like a fairy lore story. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's a lot of connection there, a lot of overlap with the face stories. Like in the Smokies there, you have, a, they call them fairy lights or, or spook lights. Yeah. And um, the Cherokee, you know, talked about that, that that was the little people that you didn't necessarily want to follow those lights because depending on the mood of the little people, they could indeed help you. And they've been known to guide people out of the woods. But then I knew a guy that was hunting in the area and his uh, lantern had gone out. This was from the time when you didn't have even a, a battery operated headlamp, but they used the old carbide lights like the miners used. Mm-hmm. And his carbide had ran out of his light. So he saw another light and he thought, well, that's, you know, another coon hunter or whatever. I'll just follow him out of here and uh, follow him along. And at one point he could see the, the light clearly where it had just gone through and the direction he went. And then he stepped off of, a bluff there and fell about 12, 15 feet, um, messed himself up real good. Uh, went back the next day to find his gun. He couldn't find his gun in the dark and said it was jammed into the ground barrel first, uh, several inches deep. But he said he watched the light and he said it looked just like somebody with a light or maybe even carrying a kerosene lantern or something. So I crossed this area and that's why he thought it was okay to go that way. And then off he went. And uh, mm-hmm. the Cherokee have legends of people following those lights. If if you've angered the the little folks, the little people, they will lead you off into the woods. And supposedly, then, according to the Cherokee, you wander for all eternity after that. And then again, this is the same area, Cades Cove, North Shore, Fontana Lake, that are the most haunted in the Smokies, and where a lot of these disappearances have happened. <laughs> wow! So, food for thought <laughs> just like in um on uh i think it's mount shasta or this i believe i may have got may have got my stories mixed up but one place out there where a lot of people have disappeared the native americans in that area have a story about rocks that can open up and swallow people and then close back <laughs> and then in modern times we have missing people there so did these rock creatures that the, the local tribes knew of, is that what got them? Well, Mount Shasta, I mean, is interesting just from... Oh, the whole place. I've been up there, and it's a New Age Mecca for one thing. And there is an energy there. It's I would compare it to Joshua Tree and uh, Sedona in, in Arizona. There's, it's a power spot. But it, especially Shasta, seems to attract... I mean, you've got the Lemurians, you've got the Ascended Masters... Um, yeah, St. Germain, the I yeah, am, Guy, Guy yeah. Ballard's I, I am <laughs> yeah. group that starts up Created there. Created a whole religion from that. Yeah. Very he, went up, he went up to the mountain and, and talked to, to, to St. Germain. And, yeah. 
that was able to channel the teachings of St. Germain and, and had a, a, a congregation like 2 million or something at one time, I think, before they decided he was a fraud. And then you also have stories of disappearances there. That's where a robot grandma, are you familiar with that story where the little boy was lost and uh, he thought that his grandma had come to, to get him, but turned out it wasn't his grandma, but a, a robot that looked like his grandma. And she took him back into a cave that uh, he claimed, and this was like a five-year-old kid. And it was the story that he told just, you wouldn't think of a kid being able to put that much detail in, but it was full of like uh, rusted swords and old weapons with cobwebs on them and things. And she tried to make him uh, poop on a piece of paper and he wouldn't what? do it. What? And then, and then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he wouldn't do it I, I mean you know steve i mean you know I, 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 the robot grandma wasn't weird about pooping on a piece of paper that was that's the line i had to draw the line they're trying to, to gather dna or something what's that all about but yeah and and the way he found out about it eventually the robot grandmother got angry with him because he refused to do anything. He wouldn't eat and he wouldn't poop on the paper and do anything that she was trying to get him to do. So she took him back out in the woods and you know, like go that way. And then he was found. And then it was sometime later, uh, he was staying with his grandma and he said, I like you better than the other grandma. And she's like, Oh, you're, your uh, mom's mother and everything. He's like, no, the robot grandma that uh, had me in the cave when I was lost. And then he launches into this whole story. Like I just told him, I mean, there's a lot more to it, but. Uh, well, you know, that's very similar. I mean, the robots in the cave stuff. I well, mean, that's Shasta, you know, the shaver mystery, shaver the mysteries, yeah. one of the Daros or whatever he called them. Daros and the robots. Terrors, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and supposedly there's, lost cities there there's a city or tunnels of gold and you do have those lava tubes in there i've heard of people getting lost in those and coming out into a place that's like a tropical oasis where it was you know all uh, beautiful vegetation and very lush and fresh water and animals and birds and things that almost sounds like a hollow earth thing so yeah mount shasta is a weird place in the little town right there where it is weed california is like i said it's it's a new age mecca there, there's all kinds of uh alternative religions and thought and little bookstores and curio shops and things there it's it's a trip well especially if its name is weed right yeah I mean, kind of aptly named <laughs> kind of appropriate <laughs> yeah but the robot grandma thing the and the age of the child reminds me i don't know if we talked about this steve on one of the shows that we did with you but do you remember a few couple of years ago the little boy that was lost in the woods and that said that a bear yeah the bear kept him warm and uh, brought him berries and things to eat yeah and again, that's, you know, I'm, to me, that sounds like a Bigfoot or something because I, I don't think bears pick berries and they don't uh, take a shine to little boys and keep them warm. And yeah, I mean, the time of year it was, I think a bear would have been hibernating anyway. Yeah. And it's interesting because he's, he's, he described it kind of like the cartoon character mm -hmm. that, um, and then that, that kind really of goes into, the, the satanic panic thing, McMartin preschool where, you know, the kids said uh, Mickey Mouse and Chuck Norris took them through the tunnel under the school and yeah. made them play naked movie star or whatever it was, you know, it was. Yeah. Like, and, but if you think about it, if you were actually doing something like that, what better way 
just make it just as nonsensical, non-believable as possible. And because then if somebody told the story and they're like, yeah, okay, it was Mickey Mouse and Chuck Norris, you know, that's, I don't know. There's, there's so many little connections and overlaps and things that have similarities that it, it makes you wonder that's what's really going on out there in some of these cases. Right. Uh, one of the uh, videos that I watched that I thought was interesting, the, the, the hitchhiking skinwalker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's I, one of the few that was not really a well-known story or well-documented story. That was a personal account of um, someone that Josh, who did the illustrations, I think he'd gone to college with him or something. And that's a true story. The guy was driving from, I think it was Colorado or somewhere like that where he was going to school going to his parents' house in Utah. And he was traveling the old U.S. Route 666, which is, they've changed it now. I think it merged with 421. And Yeah, they uh, changed the name because people started, <laughs> people kept, kept stealing, stealing the signs. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, he, would, he saw this guy hitchhiking and uh, didn't pick him up and notice, you know, that guy looks weird, having strange countenance and everything, you know. And then just a few miles ahead, he sees the half hour or whatever. He sees the same hitchhiker. He's wearing the same clothes. And this happens several times. But every time he sees him again, several miles down the road, it gets a little hairier and a little weird looking. And, you know, starting to get the, the fangs and the claws and things. Eventually to the point that it it's like a, a werewolf type creature or a dog man or something. And it, a skinwalker. And uh, he it was chasing him. It was running along beside his car and keeping up with him. And he like took a, a quick side turn and thought he was pulling into somebody's home, but it was like an abandoned trailer, trailer home. And uh, he went in there and was able to, to kind of hide out. And the thing's like sitting on top of his car, you know, gnashing his teeth and slashing at the air and stuff. And he stayed in there until daylight and it, it went away. And then he was able to travel on. But after that, he took a different route <laughs> to Utah. But again, that's, you know, that, that, that whole area there is supposedly cursed. Well, yeah, the have, Four uh, Corners is notoriously just mm-hmm. weird. You have the, the, the Utah or the Utes or whatever they call themselves and another tribe in there. There's, again, depending on which tribe it is and where you are, there's different curses and different levels. There's some places that this tribe will avoid and the other doesn't mind. There's some that they both avoid altogether. And again, that's, you know, that on up into the, all the way into the, the basin there where Skinwalker Ranch is. What's your guys thoughts on Skinwalker Ranch? What do you think about that place? I mean, I've read the book hunt for the Skinwalker. I haven't, I watched the uh, the documentary that Jeremy Corbell made, and I've seen. Uh, I haven't seen like the the new show or anything, but you know it. That's a particularly yeah. Interesting well, I, I think place. there's something there. Uh, definitely, there's there's UFO sightings and different creatures and things and uh, cattle mutilations. Um, sometimes I do a, a live stream on uh, missing persons and mysteries. And I'll do like a campfire stories. Not too long ago, I had Seth breeze on as my guest and he has a podcast called Dogman radio. I'm sorry, skinwalker radio. Mm-hmm. And he, he was very well versed in it and knew all about skinwalker ranch. And he talked for a couple of hours and then I actually had a friend 
who just happened to be in that area. That's where she'd gone on vacation. She likes paranormal stuff too. And the person that she was with in Utah is from the area. And he actually called into the show and told some more stuff. But even the locals, you know, say there's something there, there's something going on. And then you had, uh, who was the guy, Bigelow that uh, bought it. And yeah, Robert uh, Bigelow. Yeah, the billionaire and, and did a lot of things. And then he sold it to another group and they put in all this high-tech equipment and stuff to study it and see what's going on. And I got pictures there the night that, that they were there, that they were on the show. They'd taken some now the, the fancy gate with the, the alien biohazard looking symbol. That's gone now, but it's, it's still got the, the big warning signs and, you know, armed guards and all that stuff. So, you know, it, it makes you wonder, did they find something and that's why it's so heavily guarded or they just didn't, want to be bothered with the looky-loos and, and souvenir hunters and legend trippers showing up. Yeah. It might be a little bit of both. Yeah. I mean, kind of an, an area 51 type thing, you know, where we don't want you in here. And then everybody's like, Hey, let's go try to get in. You know, so. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I mean, there's just, there's too much. I feel like when it's something like this, there's too much that's happened during that not to be something um, occurring, especially when, uh, we've heard of a lot of these things before in other areas and it's not a secret that this kind of stuff happens out in that area, not just Skinwalker ranch or what we call Skinwalker ranch. This, this stuff happens all over that area of the country. So. But the cattle mutilations, which later went on to become cattle disappearances. Mm -hmm. Those are some of the most fascinating parts of it to me. Find the cows. And it was usually the, the healthiest, nicest ones Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times they'd have just a small hole through the eyeball, yep. completely drained of blood. Some of them would have their rectum or sexual organs removed. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were others where just part of the flesh was gone. And uh, it was said that like even flies and things wouldn't bother the uh, what was left over the corpse of it and that there would be a chemical smell mm-hmm. that, that was involved with that. And uh, talks about later on the, the people there that, I can't remember their names right now. The first people that were there when all this started going on and started losing. Uh, the, the Shermans, cattle. maybe? Yeah, yeah. Talked about how that when it snowed, they they noticed that like cow hoof prints would go right up to the, the tree line and then just disappear. No prints going into <laughs> the trees. No prints going any other direction. It's like Kind, of, sim- just, kind of similar to Bigfoot. Mm. Yeah, it was just taken up. And, if, and they also noticed that in those areas where the cows had disappeared, there would be branches way up in the trees, you know, 12, 15 feet or more, that were oddly broken and smashed and destroyed and things. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's that, that almost like the saucer cult type stuff, you know, where the, the saucer comes in and sends the beam down and picks up the cows, <laughs> you know. And, right. But it makes you wonder, why do they go from just taking the blood doing the mutilations to then just taking the whole cow. Right. They take a, a sample and say, yeah, we'd like this. Let's go. You know, you're going to need a bigger <laughs> Let's ship. Let's go get one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> go get a bigger ship and we'll come back and take one. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. I was also super intrigued by the, uh, that m- massive wolf that had been seen there. Oh yeah. That to me was the most exciting part. Of the stories that I've heard uh, coming the, out the of there, bulletproof wolf. Yeah, shot it and know that they shot it and hit it, and it just got 
kind yep. of looked at them. You know, I have the typical more acting of a cat nature, you know, <laughs> like you yell at your cat and it just kind of looks at you, you know, that's, that's the right. way this wolf behaved. It's like, you know, that, mm-hmm. uh, that didn't hurt, you know, the whole. Yeah. Cause then it just, it kind of fades away. It just uh-huh. disappears, but it was just so massive. I mean, that, of course I, of, of all the monsters, I guess that I've looked into the one that disturbs me the most is any type of dog man creature. Mm-hmm. So the idea of, <laughs> of a huge yeah. wolf really unnerves me. Which just, again, you have those tropes, you know, and particularly in Europe of uh, the wolves or the wolf man. And, yeah. and that was another story going back up a little bit here from Skinwalker Ranch where I don't remember who it was, but they observed what appeared to be a portal that just opened up in the air, just near the ground. And a dog man on two legs just comes strolling out, you know, like, Hey, what's going on? I mean, it didn't didn't see them or didn't acknowledge them, so it just came walking out, and then the portal closed back. And the, so it's like, you know, there's there's something there. I don't know if it's some sort of. Was something in the book where the lady they were having a lot of poltergeist activity in the house too. That was another aspect of it. But there's something in the book. She looked outside and she saw like a guy sitting at the, at a desk and like working. Mm-hmm. And it was like the middle of the, of the middle of the field or something. And like all this activity was going on. And then like, she looked back and he wasn't there. There's something weird like that. I can't remember the specifics of yeah, it. Yeah, it's it's very similar to that. It may be exactly that, but I know what you're talking about. And, and, just... and of course, the, the, the machinery that was heard coming from the ground, the sound of machinery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then that's another thing that you have in that area out west. You get the Tommyknockers. You know, a lot of the, the old uh, minor 49er types, you know, they would hear something down in the mines with them sometimes that would knock in an area that they weren't in and couldn't access. And a lot of times that would uh, precede a, a cave in or an explosion. So if they heard Tommy knockers, it was you know time to get out for a while. And so what is that? And there's been other reports of that, like where, you know, a, a, like in Taos, New Mexico, you have the hum, you know, the, the famous mm-hmm. Taos hum, where there's, it's almost like a, a dynamo or a generator or something under the ground that people will hear it come on and feel it come on, and it runs for a while and thrums and vibrates and jars, and then it just shuts off. What, what in the world is that? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The dog man stuff, too. I mean, I don't know how much of that I really – people say that they see it, yeah. but, you know, like that – uh, good friend Timothy Renner. I'm sure you're familiar with Steve. Oh, absolutely, uh, strange familiars. Yeah, he. I mean, he said many times that like he just can't buy into the dog man stuff, but because like you talk about a creature that is basically Im- almost impossible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, and there's there's more I think going on there. I mean, I've talked about this many times on the show, just how a lot of this. Uh, are these they're probably showing us what we want to see type of things Mm -hmm. and that kind of leads me back to a little bit to the to the little boy who said he saw the bear you know people are saying well they're saying like well that was uh that was bigfoot or like it must have been a, a sasquatch that was taking care of him i have to wonder 
if whether or not he was actually seeing the cartoon character. Yeah. Well, that kind of goes in like the whole Whitley Strieber thing, you know, where he saw owls, but it was actually grays. And it was like a a false memory or screen memory that they were putting in his mind or that his mind fabricated just because it couldn't handle what he was actually observing. So I think that could account for things that, that people see that are something else. It's either, alien intelligence or whatever it is saying well you know you you wouldn't believe us if you saw us so here's mickey mouse and, you know, that's <laughs> yeah. you know that's been like i said that was in the martin preschool and there was another account i read where a kid was uh in his basement as as a kid and he saw these cartoon characters come out of the wall and mm. they're like dancing past waving at him and stuff and then they go across the room and through the other wall so yeah. is it just and then that makes you think then again about things like the black eyed kids, the men in black, the phantom clowns. It's like, there's something out there that's trying to send things and they're just not getting it right. You know, like, <laughs> well, these are businessmen, you know, they drive nice cars, they dress nice, but yeah, when they show up, there's wires hanging out of their pant legs and they, they talk like robots and they don't make any sense. Okay. Well, let's try kids. Everybody loves kids, but these are creepy little kids with cold black eyes and, and dress strangely and, and you know, talk funny and try to get invited in. Okay. Yeah. Well, that didn't work. Clowns. clowns Everybody though. loves no. clowns. No, they don't. And no, that- they're evil clowns. <laughs> they come out of the woods and chase people with knives and leave uh, behind clown paraphernalia. You remember that one, Adam, yeah. where they, where they had, uh, the well, police chased the clowns into was the that woods. 2016. <laughs> yeah. That was yeah. in 2016. They didn't find anything but they did find an abandoned shack and inside was clown paraphernalia and mm-hmm. we just were marveling over what that could be was it you know a rubber nose or some big shoes or <laughs> pancake makeup you know <laughs> i want to know still what clown paraphernalia would entail well you know it's it's interesting and i think we brought this up we probably brought i probably have brought this up before but just the you know the whole thing with the clown, the phantom clown stuff. And when that happened in the early eighties and this was right after John Wayne Gacy. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I don't know how, I don't know how much that was in the popular consciousness at the time, but I mean, I I would assume that possibly on the news, they at least showed him in his pogo Mm -hmm. outfit and in fact, I do remember you talking to you about this, Steve, because you told me you actually had one of his paintings. Yeah, at one time I sold it for like a hundred dollars and, and made money on it. And if I had it now, you know, it'd be worth thousands. But it was one of those things I just wasn't comfortable having it around. And I yeah. had, yeah. my daughter was really small at the time, and I thought this just you know, <laughs> it it had almost like an attachment or something to it. But yeah, at the time I was taking a criminology class and I'd written to some of these characters. Gacy was one of the ones that I wrote to. He wrote back and I'd ask him about his paintings and he gave me um, a little flyer that told what paintings were available and things. And he actually had to purchase them from a guy in Louisiana who was like his art dealer or something. Because of the Son of Sam law, he couldn't make any money Mm -hmm. from his crimes. And the court had ruled that his paintings somehow represented his crimes because he did paint, you know, himself as Pogo and he had the, the skull clown was the one I had. And then he painted like the seven dwarves and things like that too. But uh, I bought one. I think I paid like $50 or something for it. And yeah, I just, I felt uncomfortable with it, sold it, ended up selling it for a hundred dollars. Now this was 
when Gacy was still alive. But again, the whole clown thing, if you think about the origins of the clown, the clown originally represented the devil in the, the miracle plays that they put on during the children's crusades. So, you know, there's that, that evil from the origin of it. It goes all the way back. I do think that Gacy inspired Stephen King with uh, Pennywise. Yeah. And I think from that, it just kind of came into the whole consciousness, the idea of the evil clown. And And that was the other thing about when they had those sightings. I think the first ones were in Boston or that area. Right. But within just literally a couple of days, it was all over the country. They were seeing them on, you know, both coasts and in the heartland. It was just like a a flap, almost like the UFO Mm -hmm. flap in the 70s. I remember 73, UFOs were everywhere. I remember going out with my friends at night, you know, getting up on the roof and, and watching for UFOs because there was, they were just all over the place. And then, you know, that faded and went away and, and things like that seemed to come in flaps. Yeah. The 2016 clown stuff was, was really strange. And I'm honestly surprised that we haven't had anything really weird because of like, there's all the, the, the pandemic and the social turmoil that's going on, you know, I, I, I wonder that if in, in really in times of stress, mm-hmm. this is how these things, these things are more likely to manifest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That well, would make sense. one thing that I've noticed in some of the, uh, the groups that I'm in are um, since the pandemic started and people are at home, Mm-hmm. They're one, they're going outside, they're looking up more, they are more aware of their surroundings because they're stuck in their house. The number of um, people that are, I guess, maybe this, maybe the reports haven't, or the sightings haven't necessarily gone up, but people willing to report what they've seen has. So uh, specifically hauntings, there are so many people that are coming forward with things that they've seen in their home because they've been stuck in their home. They're not busy with their day-to-day job and whipped when they get home, you know, they've, especially when everything was shut down in the spring, yeah. stuff was unheard of. The amount of people that were coming into these, all these paranormal groups and commenting on things that they weren't aware of <clears throat> happening in their home until and, they were there all the time. And I've noticed an uptick in dogman sightings and winged humanoids. If you follow Lon Strickler and some of his stuff, I get an email newsletter from him, I think, every day. And in there, there's always some new report of uh, it'll be somewhere like Chicago or Baltimore or somewhere in Pennsylvania. But they're seeing these Mothman type creatures in it. Said it just almost every day there's a new one in there. Now, some of them are old reports that Mm -hmm. he's just now reporting on or that have just been sent to him. But there seems to be more happening during this yeah. time too same with the dog man bigfoot not so much i don't know why it's those two if they're just in the four in the the, the, the hive mind there mm. or if it really is an increase in, in the sightings yeah um I, and i don't know if this really has to do it doesn't really have to do with the pandemic but what i've noticed in the area where i grew up the way that the bigfoot sightings have waxed and waned over time a lot of it kind of coincides with what's happening with the environment so when we started to have a big gas and oil boom in the area and they started to rip up the earth uh the sightings kind of dwindled um and i don't know if that's because there was so many large areas that were being disturbed 
And so if, if, if we're seeing Bigfoot as an actual creature that has a migratory path and whatnot, mm-hmm. some of their pathways were interrupted or inhabited at least temporarily while they're building these wells. And so the sightings and the sounds and all of that decreased a ton for a period of a few years while mm-hmm. all of this was happening. And then it started to come back slowly, but it's not nearly what it was prior to the gas and oil boom in the area. Yeah. Um, it's the same way out here. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm in Oregon, but I'm just across the river from Washington state. I can see Mount St. Helens from my driveway on a clear day. Well, it was the same thing after that erupted Bigfoot sightings just all but stopped. And there's even people saying that, you know, that it killed all the big feet, but now, you know, it's been, I think that was 1980 when that happened. Now you're seeing, starting to see more is in that general area. I mean, that's where the, the Ape Canyon incident was. Mm-hmm. Um, the Gifford Pinchot National Forest, which is just right there near the foot of Mount St. Helens. There's more and more sightings in there recently that mm-hmm. I've been hearing about. So it's like he did go away for maybe 30 or 40 years, but now they're starting to come back. Did they go south? I mean, I don't know. You could correlate that and see if there was an uptick in sightings in other places, like maybe south into other parts of Oregon or California. And then mm-hmm. now have they gone back into that area? And an uh, interesting thing about that, the Ape Canyon attacks, I made a video about that not too long ago. Uh, there's a, a paranormal exploration group. I think they're from California that have gone up onto uh, Mount St. Helens there in Ape Canyon where that happened. And they think they've located the site of that cabin where those miners were holed up. They found what they believe to be the, the roof beam and some of the handmade nails. And they pretty much think this has to be it because that area where it is, it's too rugged for logging. And uh, that would have been the only thing that would have been in there was where these guys were staying. Well, the part of the story, one of the guys claimed to have shot one of the, the Bigfoot that were up on the bluff raining boulders down on their cabin, and it, it fell off the bluff. So they're thinking that if they have found the cabin, they're going to try to locate where this bluff was and see if there's skeletal remains there. So mm. could be interesting. Yeah. Steve, there was something on your uh, YouTube channel I wanted to ask you about, the translucent beings. Yeah, also known as the Glimmer Man. Now that's and you've had Robert Guffey on your show. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You're talking about the, the chameleo type thing. That's that's another one that's more prevalent. And again, I don't know if it's just more people are aware of it, more people starting to talk about it. I had a sighting myself in downtown Portland a few years ago, late at night. Uh, I was waiting on the, the last train, the Orange Line, to take me back to my part of Portland. And I saw something between a, a street post, a street, street sign post, and a garbage can. And that's what it looked like. It was kind of short, but it was human-shaped, and but it was shimmering. I could see through it, but it was like looking through saran wrap. And when it noticed that I was looking in that direction, it just kind of squatted down and hunkered down. But I could yeah. still see, you know, like the top of it. And I got the willies. Now, I've, you know, I've had some weird encounters. I had the thing with the black-eyed kids. That's the scariest I've ever been. But this thing, it really gave me that fight-or-flight thing. And what I did, I waited and actually crossed the street against the light and ran out in front of a car. So that way I had an excuse. Well, oh, I'm running to get out of the way of this car, thinking that maybe it wouldn't chase me. You know, <laughs> And uh, went on up several blocks to the next train stop under a light, and then there was people there. 
and never saw anything before since. But if I'm in downtown Portland late at night and need to get home, which I'm not down there now because of all that's going on ever, but uh, I'll take an Uber or something. But yeah, that one, it's, there was a lady that was a bow hunter uh, that was in a tree and I saw it in another tree over. And again, the same kind of shimmery, it's like the predator creature, the, the thing from Predator. Now, again, the, is it some kind of technology that exists that's either ours or theirs, or is it some kind of alien technology? And uh, that's one of the things, once we started talking about it on Missing Persons and Mysteries, we've got a, a big audience over there, about 54,000 subscribers, and all these reports started coming in. We do the listener stories, and I'm seeing more and more stories come in of uh that type of a, a shimmering creature. I got one just the other day from um, New Jersey. Well, you know, um, in Guffy's book, Camellia, I mean, what he's talking about is, is, is absolutely some kind of technology that mm-hmm. is real. And um, was this pretty recent, Steve? I mean, was this while the protests were going on? Cause no, I'm wondering no, if, no, I absolutely. I just, I don't go down where all that's going on. This has been, well, with all the federal agents and stuff, that's what I'm wondering. That's it why was, I'm kind of asking that. You said the, the, the Phantom Clown show we did was in 2016? Yeah, 2016. It would have been around the same time then because I was still working at the same place I was working when we did that show. Okay. So it would have been about four years ago. And that was my first encounter with anything like that before or since. But I I, I was familiar with... You know, there, there were some isolated reports and stuff, but it's it's becoming more and more prevalent. Uh, just on our channel, we've had probably half a dozen stories of the Glamour Man come in. And it's funny how you get these things. You're talking about Tim Renner and Strange Familiars. They've got the flannel man. Well, I've got a story on my channel that I heard 15 years ago. Turns out it was a flannel man encounter. I just didn't know that that's what it was. Oh, really? Uh, guy I knew... Uh, was angry with his boss. He'd gone out for a, a stomp in the woods, you know, just to kind of burn off some steam and got lost and ended up being out there for two days. Thought he was going to die. Oh. And, uh, and then he, he heard this thump, 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 thump. And he comes across a guy in a flannel shirt and flailing away at a tree and said, the guy, I don't think he even talked to him. If he did, he didn't have much to say, but he just kind of motioned up the bank. And so the, this friend of mine, he went up the bank, and sure enough, there's a, a dirt service road up there. And uh, he just kind of collapses, and eventually park service truck wanders by, stops and picks him up. And uh, he tells the guy, he said, yeah, if that woodcutter, the woodsman down there, the lumberjack, hadn't pointed, he said, I had no idea I was that close to the road. He said, I've been going in circles and going the wrong way. And uh, the park service employee looked at him like, lumberjack? And he said, yeah, there's, there's a guy down there cutting trees, and he's the one that uh, pointed the way out. So park service employees are like, okay, wait just a minute. He gets out of his truck, goes down the hill, comes back a few minutes later, and uh, and the guy's like, well, you know, I hope I didn't get him in, in trouble or anything. And, you know, because he did basically maybe save my life, they've got him back to the ranger station which was just a short ways away of giving him water and snack crackers to eat and things. 
And then uh, he noticed that the ranger didn't acknowledge it or say about it. And he asks again, so, well, what about the ranger? You're not going to arrest him or anything. Or what about the uh, woodsman? You're not going to arrest him or anything, are you? And the ranger said, son, there wasn't anything down that bank. There's, there was no lumberjack in a flannel shirt. There was no evidence of anybody having cut any trees down there at any time. And he's like, <laughs> we sort of frown on that kind of thing in the park anyway. This was in a state park. Wow. So, yeah, I'd, I'd heard that, like I said, 15 years ago. It was when I was still in Tennessee, and it had happened, you know, prior to then. And I I never heard it called that until I started listening, you know, on Strange Familiars, and they started talking about these encounters with the flannel man. Now, he's not always benevolent like that, but he is sometimes. He's just kind of there. But then there's times when people feel like a malevolence or an, an evil energy coming off of him. He's the, he's the archetype of the of the American woodsman and worker. Mm-hmm. that's kind of how i see it and i yeah. think that that is something that fe- that feeds into this phenomenon as our own kind of archetypes yeah well there's a, an organization fraternal organization called the uh, woodman of the world or woodman of america and that's kind of their little slow or logo guy or whatever is a you know a guy in an axe with a where to plant with an axe paul bunyan yeah yeah <laughs> uh Heather, is there any kind of weird stuff like where you're from that is interesting? Uh, no, we're boring here. No, um, <laughs> I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that happens here. There's Bigfoot sightings are probably the most prevalent. Um, like I said, the Minerva Monster was just right outside of where I grew up. So we had, we've had that and uh, Grassman, another term oh yeah yeah bigfoot creature that's all in this part of ohio i wanted to ask you about that i'd mentioned that earlier what is the difference between grass men and bigfoot or, or is there any difference so i have heard i don't know so i guess in my um uneducated mind when it comes to different types of bigfoot i would say that they're just different types of Bigfoot. Like, I mean, it's just, it's Bigfoot, right? And then you have these subsections. I've heard that Grassman is more aggressive. Um, I don't think that he's as tall as other types of Sasquatch, but he is more aggressive from what I've heard. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, so we've got the Bigfoot sightings. There have been UFO sightings. There's hauntings around the area. That's something that I've been looking into more because I've been going uh ghost hunting or paranormal investigating as often as possible recently. And, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. Um, I can't think of any, anything like dog man, um, or any type of flannel man encounters that I've personally heard of. Um, yeah. So that, I don't know, nothing super exciting. Uh, I am not too awfully far from like Athens, Ohio, where they have, I guess the the univer- Ohio University OU, the campus is set up in sort of a, a pentagram shape. They say, and there's all kinds of things that happen there. And um, I'm really fortunate to be just within a couple hours of some really awesome places like Moundsville, West Virginia. Um, of course, the mounds are there, but there's prisons. I'm not far from Mansfield uh, or Shawshank Prison, I guess. If you're familiar with Shawshank Redemption. Yeah, I've been up um, to Mansfield. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a beautiful building. Um, so I'm just kind of in the center of all of these places. We have mounds around here. I actually, um, if you do a little bit of digging, you can find 
some books that people wrote a long time ago where they, at least for Ohio, they mapped out every known uh, mound or Native American uh, like uh, building that is still just like the foundations or whatever. And they, by county, they have it marked on a map. And I've called around to some places. I've gone and looked at some and it's actually really sad. A lot of these mounds are, were either flattened for farmland or just all out destroyed. Um, of course they've worn down over time cause they weren't anything massive, you know, um, the serpent mound obviously is, is one thing down in Southern Ohio, closer to Cincinnati, but, yeah. and that's not super tall necessarily as it's really long. It's not like the Grave Creek mound in Moundsville that is, uh, the largest conical mound this side of the Mississippi. Um, but, you know, they're smaller mounds that definitely uh, the people that I've talked to that were aware of them when they were children before they were flattened out to be farmland, they said they knew something was off about it because it was in the middle of nowhere, that like the mound had been created, you know, it was in the middle of a flattened area and then there was a small mound, but yeah. Well, we've got here... Like in, uh, now, like I know Nashville, there were mounds in Nashville. They just mm-hmm. got flattened eventually. Um, yep. Serfiel knows all about that. He, he studied that. Like actually, like that area where, ne- where the Titan Stadium is now, Steve, mm-hmm. that, that, that yeah. area, there used to be mounds in that area. Yeah, uh, there's still some in uh, Middle Tennessee, farther north in Fentress County and that area. Of course, you got um, old, old, Old Stone Fort in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also south of here in uh, North Georgia, there's the Etowah Indian Mounds. Mm-hmm. And Macon has the Okmulgee, I think was the name of it. And uh, yeah. that whole, the, 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 that was an entire civilization that uh, really left its mark on the American landscape and is just gone. Yeah. Etowah is a fascinating place. Yeah, I don't know if you guys have ever been there, but it's yeah, mm-hmm. I've, I've been there. Absolutely yeah. fascinating. We also do have um, stories in the area where, uh, and this is probably prevalent in other areas as well, but there are these graves in, in actual cemeteries where uh, stories arise, whether they were true or not, of this is a warlock's grave or this is a witch's grave, um, just because history is kind of dictated that not not because they were actually tried for anything necessarily although we may have some like that it's just a story that turns into like an urban legend and so kids show up and check it out and spook each other you know (laughs) that kind of thing um and sometimes it's really interesting to find these cemeteries and this is one of the things that i've really enjoyed doing is going through old maps of the local counties and finding all of the old cemeteries, of course, I don't know if listeners are familiar with, I hope they would be, but um, findagrave.com, if uh, it sounds probably morbid, but most of the cemeteries or graveyards in the United States, and I think they have an international version too, but they're um, cataloged on findagrave.com. And a lot of the headstones, if people go around, you can download the app on your phone and take pictures if there's not pictures there. But people catalog the headstones and the names, uh, dates, and all the inscriptions on the stones. But um, 
through that, I've, I've actually been able to add some graves that I found that were not in the database. But between that and then um, cross-referencing with old maps that you can find at your county courthouse, I've found cemeteries that are just gone. Well, I haven't found them. I mean, because they're gone. But cross-referencing what we know now and then looking where they were at one point, there's actually a, a farm not far from where I grew up where clearly what they did was they wanted that extra two acres of farmland because of where it was. And it was a cemetery. It wasn't a graveyard. There was no, um, there was no church there or anything. And uh, they just knocked the stones down or took them out or whatever. And now it's all farmland. But if you look at the maps from the 1800s, there are graves there. Hmm. And that <laughs> so bothers me to no end. dig in a pool in their yard and get a surprise. Yeah. Like the Poltergeist movie, that was you know, <laughs> was there as a burial ground and built yeah. houses in there, and that that happens, you know. That's mm -hmm. um, I know of cemeteries. I know some that are underwater. That's you know, when yeah, dammed up uh, the river there in yeah. East Tennessee, the Clinch River, yep. and made the uh, the lake there. There's cemeteries underwater. I'd say that's and, probably true all over the South. No. Yeah. And there, there was one area there. Now, I don't know if it's true or not. It was just a story that I heard where they had cut through and made a new road and they'd left cemetery up on top of a a hill, kind of a little hill there with a new road to cut through. And somebody told me that they were driving through there one time after a rain and there was the sole of a shoe sticking out of the bank <laughs> there where the cemetery <laughs> was. I'm like, Wow. Yeah, there's a story in, um, I feel like it's in uh, James Gay Jones's book of Appalachian or Appalachian folk tales. I think it, it was either in his or Ruth Ann Musics, but I'm pretty sure it was James Gay Jones. And he recounts when the Tennessee Valley Authority came in and they started to, you know, dam up different areas, certain places were going to get flooded um, just to control unwanted flooding in other areas and there's a ghost story in there where um local workers had to come in and they were their job specifically was to dig up these bodies and relocate them to higher ground because the town was going to be underwater soon and people wanted to have access to their uh loved ones that had passed away and so the one story goes that a woman shows up as the men are digging up these graves and she just stands at the gate and she weeps they try to talk to her. She doesn't acknowledge them. Um, this happens for a few days. And then at one point they show up and there's only, um, instead of the woman, there is a vase or a bouquet of flowers off in the corner where there is no headstone, no marker. It's just off on its own. And they finish digging up. They go home that night and the foreman has a dream where this woman appears to him and she explains that, she lost her baby and the baby was buried right where those flowers were. And please don't let my child not get moved. I want my child to be moved like everybody else. But of course the baby wasn't marked. And so the next day he gets there with his uh, men and they're getting ready to go to a different cemetery. And he said, no, we got to go back to the other one, which was to their surprise, but they start digging where that flower, the flower bouquet was. And sure enough, there's a baby skeleton and then they were able to uh, relocate the baby. But um, yeah, those kind of stories are fascinating. And you can actually go online, again, if you're willing to dig, and find a list, find a list of all of the ones that were relocated 
And there are quite a few actually that were unnamed, you know, no markers. They just found the bones and relocated that them. That happens. There was a, an old graveyard there in Oak Ridge that was kind of forgotten because that all been farmland and things in there before the, the Manhattan Project. Mm-hmm. And uh, I used to go and visit, um, I can't remember the gentleman's name, but he was like a, a prophet. He foresaw and foretold uh, the war and that there would be a town there and things. And uh, his grave was back over there in the woods. The, the stone was you know, broken and, and messed up and stuff. And the last time I went to look for it, and this has been years ago, uh, I was shocked to find that it was now, there was a parking lot for a Home Depot there. And I never heard anything about it being relocated or where they moved it to. And I I think they just paved over it. I honestly do. Yeah. And there's uh, another, uh, you can look it up online. It's uh, Brunswick, New Jersey. It's a a grave of a lady named Mary Ellis. And it's in the parking lot of a shopping center. Just out Mm -hmm. in the middle of the pavement there, there's like a little iron railing and stuff around it. And there's a grave there. Yeah, you would see that, especially when... um when I was still living in Hermitage, uh, you know, right outside of Nashville, you know, it's a lot, huge suburban development out there. And some of the apartment complex, there was a couple of apartment complexes. You'd look over and you see this gate and there's like a little graveyard sitting there <laughs> from like the 19th century. Uh, I would see yeah. that several times actually. Uh, and it's in a couple of different places. And like, if you, didn't look in that direction, you would have you would have just missed it. Yeah, mm-hmm. never know it was there. Yeah, and it makes you wonder about the ones that are there that you don't know about. Like, I know the graveyard where a lot of my mom's family are buried. It's in the middle of uh, somebody's cow pasture now up near uh, Cosby, mm-hmm. yeah, Tennessee. And uh, last time I went up there, it was so grown up because it's in like a thicket there that if you didn't know it was there, you couldn't find it. It's not on any of the modern maps. You, Like Heather was talking about, you'd have to get an old map mm-hmm. to even find it. That community doesn't even exist anymore. It's known as Goose Paddle. And uh, right. go, Google that. There's Nobody's ever heard of it. But that's <laughs> that's what they, it's up near Ramsey and Cosby in that area up there. But, yeah, there's a, a cemetery up in the woods there that's, I mean, totally overgrown. You'd have to, mm. to take a you know, rake or something in there to find even the, the remnants of the stones. Yeah. Well, this has been a fascinating discussion, guys. We kind of, we, uh, we, we talked, <laughs> we're we talk, all over the place. We, we talk, <laughs> uh, that's, that's totally fine with me. I am totally cool with that. Uh, to, uh, to whoever wants to take it to where, where they can find monster badness. And uh, if any new videos are coming out, what uh, maybe the next video might be. Um. So if you go to YouTube, we have our own URL now, correct, Steve? Yeah, it's just uh, YouTube.com slash Monster Madness, all one word. We'll get you there. Yeah. And we're kind of on hiatus right now. Uh, so earlier that Zuri is uh, in nursing school and she's doing her clinicals. And she's, mm-hmm. like I said, she's the, the ringleader, the ringmaster, yeah. however you want to look at it. <laughs> and we kind of take our marching orders from her. So we're kind of on hold until... She yeah. gets a break, and but yeah, well, there's. I mean, there's so many different things. We initially wanted to concentrate on, particularly Appalachian. We've done a lot of Appalachian stories, but there's so many other cryptids and things, and that's right. that's what we're going after. So a lot to come. From yes, that. we definitely have a Bell Witch on the on the docket there. 
yeah. just haven't gotten to that point yet. I know that that was one that I was in charge of <laughs> or I'm going to be in charge of. And I guess Seth's film is coming out pretty soon. Uh, yeah. So for Kickstarter backers that comes out in December, um, as far as an actual like public release date yet, I'm not sure that that's even, I don't, I don't know as if that's a thing yet. I don't know if we have a set date, but um, Mothman Legacy just came out. So you know, check that out. That one's yeah, actually th- out for I th- everybody. I think I saw now that all of Seth's movies are now all, f- you can watch, if you have Amazon Prime, you can watch them for free. Oh, wow. Well, I don't know about Mothman Legacy since that's the newest one, but, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah, watch them, check them out. <laughs> <laughs> and Heather, where can people find you? Oh, well, um, all over the place. No. Um, so I'm, uh, I would go to the Caravan uh, Library of Lore and you can hear me on there with, uh, Lady Anne and, and there's a little bio there as well um, and then if you're watching the new Small Town Monster stuff you'll see me in Mothman Legacy you'll see me in Mark of the Bell Witch um, and uh, yeah if you're into Northern Appalachian literature I also am one of the editors for the Northern Appalachian Review and I help with the Writers Conference of Northern Appalachia so uh, yeah, that's my jam. And your that. wonderful, wonderful, weird writer blog over on uh, Yeah, Into the Fray Radio. with Shannon Legrow. Yep, that um, I really want to get something up super soon because I, man, October was swamped with um, school as far as my students and the essays and so on, a lot busier than I wanted. <laughs> so I haven't gotten anything out this this month, but I need to before Halloween because what a, travesty that would be if i didn't get something out for halloween yeah and i'm same last year i did uh 31 nights of halloween i released a video every day i I don't think i've had a thing from cisco that i've put up i think i've only done like i don't think i've done any videos this month so i've I've got some that i'm gonna rush and try to get out before the weekend but i don't know otherwise though i've had a good year and typical steve Mm -hmm. stockton fashion 2020 has been the best year that I've ever had. Um, I went with a traditional publisher, uh, Beyond the Fray. They combined my first two books and re-released them, brought it out in paperback and an audible version. And uh, that's just doing incredible. Um, when does this air? Will it air before Halloween? Uh, this will be uh, probably about like 10 days. So Okay. okay. Uh, well, my... Uh, Strange Things in the Wood, the paperback was chosen for uh, the featured book in the Cryptid Crate for the month of October. I'm not supposed to say anything about it because uh, until they, they like for that to be a surprise to the people they send them out. So I think they go out at the first of the month, but that was, that was a real boom for me. Uh, again, still have 13 Past Midnight, have um, Missing Persons and Mysteries now. I'm full partner over there. Bill Melder started that channel, brought me on board. We managed to to more than double our viewership since I came on in May, I think. And uh, we we venture out over there. The the focus is missing persons and uh, unsolved national park disappearances, four one one type fair, and then the mysteries side of the name. That can be anything. He's kind of given me free reign. Got a lot of paranormal stuff on there cryptids a little bit of everything the listener stories that's one of our most popular features heather is uh, a writer mm-hmm. over there uh you wrote, yep. was that this month that you did those scripts or last month and this month too or? uh yeah i think the first one might have been the end of but august beginning of september missing person stuff with uh, tyler davis and uh 
and Brian Brian. Schaefer. Yeah, it was very. And uh, Columbo case. Or Palumbo, I mean, my bad. Columbo, what am I doing? Jeez. But uh, we've got another girl, uh, Emma, who uh, she's from the UK, Manchester. She does the True Crime Witch podcast. She's doing some scripts for us. And I've, I've brought in a third. This one's named Gemma. And um, she does some other things as well. She does true crime and um, addiction and recovery. She's got a blog about that. And uh, looking forward to what she's going to bring on board too. So now that's taken the, the weight off Bill and I with these excellent writers. I mean, we got we got some good stuff. A professor from, you know, for heaven's sake. <laughs> we should be writing for you, Heather. <laughs> I love writing. But I love just, it it's freed us up to, to hopefully make more videos. We've had some other things going on. Bill's had some uh, health issues and personal issues that kind of slowed us down a little bit this month, but we're, we're coming back with a vengeance. So Steve, uh, what's your website and uh, that channel called again? Um, I don't have a website. Um, I have uh, 13 past midnight and missing persons and mysteries. And then I'm also all over the place. I do, uh, Monster Madness, I guessed here and there. I've been a guest on the caravan. I've done more shows this year than probably all the other years put together. And the majority of them have been during this month. Um, I mean, I've been on Coast to Coast, yeah. and, uh, Darkness Radio with Dave Schrader, and I've been on there before. Now I've been on here um, this weekend coming up, Halloween weekend. I'm on uh, Night Dreams Talk Radio with Gary Anderson. And I've got several episodes that I pre-recorded for other people, and they're all coming out like Friday and Saturday. So it's going to be a Steve's Doctor weekend, I'm afraid. <laughs> <laughs> Anywhere you go, you find me. I'm on uh, – I can't even remember. I've done so many, I can't remember. Well, you just um, – the the Halloween for Into the Fray just yeah, came out too. that one's coming out. I did um, – uh, who's the girl that does the deprogrammed? Melissa. Melissa. Melissa Martell. Yeah, I did a show with her, even though it's a departure from what she normally does. She wanted to do a history of Halloween and, and folklore and things. I, that comes out, I think, Friday, Friday or Saturday, Friday, the 30th. So, right. again, just, and there's a lot more. I'm sorry that I can't remember them all. Uh, <laughs> so, anybody <laughs> listening, if I'm on your show and I didn't pitch it, I'm sorry about it. All right. Excellent. Thank you guys uh, so much. And everybody, uh, please uh, check out Monster Badness on YouTube. And yeah. I'm going to close this. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Thank and, you uh, for having us. Thanks, Heather. We're going we're gonna to close this section out. And I will guess I will be back to close out the show on Conspiracy Normal. Okay, guys, welcome back. That was a good little interview with Heather Mosier and Steve Stockton. Really good to have them here. And uh, like I said, uh, Sergio, he is on vacation this week. Well, at least for the week that we recorded this. And it really confuses me sometimes, all the the time slips and differences. And that's just how things go. But I want to thank everybody for listening to this episode. I want to thank Steve Stockton and Heather Mosier. 
for uh, for coming and being a part of it. Uh, we had a really good time speaking to to both of them. Make sure you guys check out their YouTube channel that they are collaborating on, which is called Monster Madness. Also, make sure that you check out Steve Stockton's YouTube channel, which is called 13 Past Midnight. Uh, there's some great stuff on there as well. And like I said, I could listen to Steve read the phone book. Well, that's it, guys. Uh, this was a rather long episode, so I'll just leave it here. We will be back uh, next week. Uh, we are going to have a very special guest. Richard Spence is going to be joining us, in which I may have already recorded that episode i i don't even know at this point so make sure you join us uh again conspiranormal uh go to patreon.com slash conspiranormal uh show us some love show us some support there that goes into helping making this show and things like strange realities possible and guys uh we will talk to you later over and out y'all stay safe and stay healthy YouTube channel, Conspiranormal Podcast.